How about that? Is that good? All right. I'm going to have to turn my page right-handed today. All right, Luke chapter 11. Let's begin in verses, verse 1 and read down through verse 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot go up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his sons ask for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Father, we just ask that you would open your word to us, that your spirit would cause us to see these words with insight, and Lord, you would speak to us as we seek your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, as we continue our January vision series, we also begin a week of focus in the life of the church on prayer. During this week, we are encouraging you to set aside extra time in your life, in your day, to engage in praying for yourself, for others in the church, and you'll be getting information and daily uh, updates on things to focus on throughout the week in regards to prayer. Hopefully at your life group you'll have the opportunity to also to pray with others that are a part of your life group about some specific areas related to the life of the church. It's not so much a week filled with activity about prayer, but one in which we're asking you to set aside time to pray. And as we do so, we're not so much entering the week as experts, but entering the week with a humble desire that through creating extra space in a disciplined way for prayer in our lives this week, we would learn in a fresh way the purpose and the power of prayer. That's why it's important for us at times to set aside a specific time where we focus on something that we might be renewed and learn the purpose and power of prayer in a week like this. I meet very few Christians who feel convinced that their prayer life is the strongest part of their spiritual devotion to the Lord. For those of you who are ready, give a raise of hands. For the most part, we live in a hurried and accomplishment-driven society. And we're over-convinced of what we can get done for the kingdom of God or in our lives. And we're under-convinced about all that God would do if we began to really ask Him in faith. Leery of its relevance 
prayer falls into the dustbin of our personal and our corporate lives. And so, we want to learn to pray. In this passage here that we've read this morning, the disciples make a simple request of Jesus that I hope you will give the opportunity, uh, that this passage will give you the opportunity to make a similar request to the Lord this morning. It's a simple request. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. I want you to notice that they don't say, Lord, teach us how to pray. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. Because it's one thing to know how to pray, and it's another thing to know how important it is to pray. That it is critical to our lives. And one of the things that happens is we need Jesus to not only remind us of the dynamics of how we pray, but to bring us into a life of prayer and to teach us to pray. As the disciples ask Jesus, Jesus obliges them by addressing what they need to really understand about prayer. And then he challenges them to learn by praying rather than to learn by postulating. You know, the truth is, when it comes to prayer, lots of times we, uh, when we study God's Word or we talk about prayer, we talk about our hang-ups and our questions, and we discuss how it can work and how is it that it works that, that we can ask a sovereign God for things, and He responds. Does He really respond to our prayers? And don't we have a lot of questions about prayer? But what Jesus teaches His disciples isn't so much about the theology of prayer as the practice of prayer. Because prayer is one of those things in life we, we learn through doing. We learn through engaging in it. That is the big picture. Prayer prompts a lot of questions that are poorly answered when we attempt to postulate. But they are clarified when we actually pray. People who pray understand what the Bible has to say about prayer from the right perspective. But to get them started in moving from theory to practice, Jesus addresses a few areas of concern about prayer that I think are really helpful for us. And so if you're here today and you feel like your prayer life has been empty or um, just lacking and you're looking for a fresh sense of, uh, of a way to get started again in a new way, maybe something from Jesus' insight here today can help kickstart you into this week of prayer to begin to engage more deeply in prayer. And so Jesus gives us four things that I really want to look at briefly and move through. Before I share a couple things I want to ask you to particularly pray for in the life of our church and our lives together. The first thing we see that Jesus shows us that we need to understand from this passage is that prayer has a pattern. Prayer has a pattern. We see this in verses 1 through 4. You'll notice in verses 1 through 4, Jesus begins answering the question, answering the request. Luke records here a summary of the teaching about prayer that was common from Jesus. Similar words, if you you notice, are captured in Matthew chapter 6 and in other places in, in what we often call or reference as the Lord's Prayer. Christians through the centuries have prayed these words, And that certainly seems appropriate. But more than a prayer to memorize, they provide a prayer to model for us. If you're not sure how to pray, or what to pray about, or maybe you've been stuck praying the same things, I think as we look at the Lord's Prayer, we can be reminded of just the scope and breadth of our invitation to praying that can prompt us to begin to pray in new ways. 
In this model prayer, look at all the ways Jesus teaches us. In this model prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray as worship. Engage in worship and express a desire for God to be exalted in our lives. The first line is, Father, hallowed be your name. So so he shows us that prayer is an opportunity for us to exalt God before our eyes, to ask that his name would be hallowed, that we would see him as holy, as, as distinct from our own motivations, and we would desire that, that we would really see God's plan and purpose on display in a way that he's glorified in our lives, that his name would be set apart as the name that is above every other name. Prayer is worship. We also see prayer for mission. We pray for God's plan and purposes to advance in the world in which we live. We don't just pray, Father, hallow your name. We pray, God, let your kingdom come. We think of the words in Matthew 6, on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer for God's kingdom to advance in the world in such a way that God's will that runs free in heaven would also be done on earth, that he would be glorified and worshipped in places where he currently isn't. There's prayer for mission. We see also prayer for provision. We learn to pray for our needs and are given a sense of the scope of expectation that we have. It's always been astounding to think that he tells them to pray for their daily bread. Really, it's a reminder that God is concerned about our needs, but often we are anxious about days that are not yet upon us. Isn't it true that we spend a great deal of our time worrying and maybe even praying for God to rescue us from the sense that we would have to depend on him day by day? Here we're told that we can trust God and we can bring before God prayers for our daily needs, for the provision of the moment and the day, and God is concerned about that. But, but, but over and over we see that God isn't always concerned about rescuing us from an anxiety about next month. But he can be trusted as we bring our requests for the day. And so we see prayers of provision. So we got prayers for worship, prayers for mission, mission, prayers for provision. We're encouraged to pray for forgiveness. You know, in prayer, we confess our sin. We ask for and receive the forgiveness of God. Maybe it's been a while since you set aside time in your life to really to really hold up to God and agree with Him about areas of your life where you're falling short and confessing those as sin and receiving the forgiveness of God. You see, biblical praying, gospel-oriented praying, it reminds us that there's nothing that we've done that God isn't ready and stands ready to forgive us for, but, but prayer invites us to experience the forgiveness of God in a fresh way as we bring our particular sins before God, and we're reminded that the cross of Jesus Christ covers our sin, and we leave those moments of communing with God in confession confident that we're forgiven. It's quite possible that your life is plagued with guilt and shame that is unnecessary that you carry because you haven't carried the things that heap that shame and guilt on you to the Lord in prayer. That you haven't brought those things before Him, confessed them to Him, and received the promise of His forgiveness and rejoiced in it as you pray. There's prayers for forgiveness. We also see prayers for reconciliation. 
We pray for the situations where we need to forgive and prepare our hearts to play our part in reconciliation. Notice the implicit understanding when he says, and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now see, when we model our prayer here, we run into, accept that person, Lord, right? You see, prayer brings us face to face with who we might not be reconciled with, who we're unwilling to forgive. Part of what we're invited to do in prayer is to begin with us and mend the brokenness that often fractures our relationships as we bring those things to God in prayer and we prepare to forgive from the heart so we can get up and live in a, in a, in a state of reconciliation, not driven by our anger and our frustration and our lack of forgiveness. There's a work to be done in prayer that prepares us for reconciliation and we're to ask the Lord for it. There's prayer for reconciliation, and we see here also in this model prayer, there's prayer for temptation. We pray that God would keep us from the places where we will be tempted, especially those places where we foolishly believe we are safe. And there are places in our life where we honestly are not spiritually safe right now. And part of praying causes us to pray along with Jesus' words here, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Protect us from those places where we foolishly believe we are okay and cause us to be protected from the temptations we're not even able to protect ourselves from. There's a diligence in protecting against temptation through prayer. Jesus gives us a pattern here. Prayer has a pattern. And, and, and all of these ways make it possible for us to develop a rich life of prayer. In part, Jesus gives us a model to be sure that we're not tempted to put off praying until we figure it out and complain that it's too difficult to get started. You know, for many people, when they begin in faith, and maybe even just at this point in your prayer life, you would say, it's overwhelming, I don't know where to start, but right here is a model where you can literally just walk through this and think about the particulars of your life and begin to pray in these ways. I don't know if any of you are really good at ice skating. I know there's at least one person in the room. But after walking around Stonebridge, you know, up here by Wegmans, and seeing the seasonal ice rink outside the movie theater, it's clear that not many people in our community are very good at it. You guys are laughing because you know I'm right. Given my lack of balance, I, I throw myself in with them. But if you go by, you know, there's, there's extra help for those who want to get started, isn't there? You ever see them skating around on those things, pushing those things in front of them? It's like a little walker for figure skaters. You can skate around with these guides. It won't make you a great skater, but it will allow you to get started, won't it? Similarly, I can remember going bowling one time as a kid uh, when my younger sister managed to bowl a zero. Now, this was back in the early 80s when we still let people get their feelings hurt by losing at things. <laughs> but somewhere during my childhood, someone came up with a brilliant idea to put bumpers in the gutters for kids, right? Not a terrible idea, to be honest. And for adults who don't want to be seen as fools. Now, the bumpers will not get you a 200-plus game like Matt Steele, who has his own bowling ball. But they will rescue you from bowling a zero. Now, this is my point. This model prayer may not cover all that it means to thrive 
in prayer. But it will keep you from praying a zero. And it offers a guide to not only get you started in praying, but carry you a long way toward developing a genuine prayer life. And we should take this model prayer and begin to use it as we engage with God. And on the basis of that, we will find ourselves praying through the power of the Holy Spirit in more specific and varied ways that help us understand what God is doing in His kingdom. We need this kind of praying. Prayer has a pattern and we can get started. The second thing we see is that prayer, number two, for my note takers, prayer involves persistence. As we move into verses five through eight, we see that Jesus is concerned not only that we have a starting point and we begin in prayer and have a model so we aren't, aren't lost with how to, how to pray, Jesus then begins to remind us that if we're really going to grow in prayer, if we're really going to develop, it's going to require some persistence. Jesus continues to teach his disciples to pray, and he addresses the likely scenario that they will give up at a moment's notice if they think it's not working. Can I get an amen? Most people who are learning something new feel tempted to do this, don't they? They prayed. God didn't answer, so we conclude it's not worth the time. It doesn't work. But if we're going to learn to pray... Jesus wants us to understand the role of persistence in prayer. We see it in verses 5 through 8. Look at the text and, and kind of follow along. Jesus highlights the role of persistence in prayer by telling this little story. It's a parable. Here's what we see. A man receives an unexpected guest late at night in verse 5. Midnight, and he doesn't have anything to set before the guest and offer. In a, in a culture that highly values hospitality, this would have been a sense of shame, not having something to care for this person. There was a need to go to any length to be able to take care of a guest coming into the home. And so what does he do? He knocks on the neighbor's door. We have a neighbor like that. He's, his name is Mr. Don. Don has everything that we don't have at his house. A few years ago, uh, I was building a patio and in the course of a week, I broke Don's tamper, I broke his rake, I broke his shovel, and I broke his wheelbarrow. I borrowed his rototiller, and I broke that too. Now, it's because Don buys most of his stuff used. But, you know, this is what we do, right? When we need something, if we have a relationship, we go and we knock on the door, and he knocks on the neighbor's door, and he asks for some bread. And the neighbor has gone to bed, and he shut the house down, and his kids are in bed, and he says, I don't, I don't, please, don't, leave me alone. I mean, if you're a parent and the kids are in bed, you know this, right? You don't want somebody ringing the doorbell after the kids are in bed. This is kind of the situation that's going on here. The neighbor makes it clear he'd prefer to be left alone. And Jesus makes it clear in the story that the difference between getting the bread and not going home empty is persistence. Isn't that interesting? The word here in the ESV was impudence, but for those of us who don't know what that, which I didn't know before I read it this week, um, it's really, it's the word persistence. It's kind of a bold persistence, uh, you know, a, a request with sort of confidence that says, no, 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 you can't turn me away. I've got to get this. I got, I got somebody at my house. I need this bread. I get it. I know I wouldn't have inconvenienced you if, I'd, if it wasn't really a need, but, but I need this thing. And Jesus says, 
That guy may not get up, that neighbor of yours may not get out of bed to just help you if you're easy about it, but because of your persistence, you're going to get what you need. So what does this mean for us in our praying? Well, I want to point out, Jesus is telling the story with the emphasis on the person going to do the asking, okay? He's, he's not telling us that God is a reluctant neighbor who's, concerned, who about, who's not really concerned about our problem and doesn't want to be inconvenienced. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's actually pointing out that even if that were the case, a little persistence goes a long way in prayer. Jesus, this is what he's teaching us through this parable. Jesus is teaching us to persist in prayer and not be easily deterred from pursuing the Lord about the things that we need. That real prayer, genuine praying, involves persistence. Real praying has an urgent, persistent posture, which Jesus encourages here, notice, rather than discourages. He actually adds fuel to the fire of saying, come to God with boldness, with clarity, with a sense of persistence, continue to ask as though it really matters. This brings me to the point we should be praying for things that really matter. We had a big moment this week in the life of Pillar Church that I don't want to pass by without celebrating. The Dumfries Town Council voted unanimously to approve our building development project. Yeah, it's huge. I thought, I thought it'd be worth giving you a little bit of perspective this morning about that because it's the answer to a long season of prayer. There was a church building on that land. It's in Dumfries and I'd be glad to tell you where to, you can find it. You can go walk on it if you want and pray for it. There was a church building on that land until June 14th, 2005, when the building burned down. The church that had been meeting there, Abundant Life Baptist Church, had been struggling, and that fire was sort of the, the end of the road for them as a congregation. They disbanded. And the property was left with our state convention to determine what should be done with it. Now, remember I said 2005, right? Sometime, not long after that, members of our church began praying that God would give us the land so that we could put it to good use for the mission of the gospel. Not long after the summer of 2005. I don't think it was before that, which would be strange, right? <laughs> it was a joke. No, members began to pray that we'd be able to put that building to good use for the mission of the gospel. We're talking about a group of like 25, 30 people, max, as a church. God, give us that land. Let us do something great on it for the mission of the gospel. We've, uh, since that time, we've asked the, the owners, the state convention, and asked the Lord more times than I can count, and in more ways than I could have ever imagined to open the way for us on that land. Many of you have stood on that land and prayed uh, with us, it's almost funny how long it's been going on because that was 2005. And just to remind you, this is what year? 2022? Am I right about that? Is it 2022? Sorry. Should put that in my notes. Well, several years ago, we came to an agreement with the state convention to just buy the land for $350,000 and start, started making this plan that we've been pursuing. In 2018, it looked like we were about to be approved to do so, and things went sideways from there, and we continued to pray. 
A new town staff member, for some reason that we will never understand, created uh, roadblock after roadblock that kept us from moving forward, frustrating every attempt we made at a resolution at that time. It went on for so long that back in the spring of 2021 of this, this past year, our state convention, who had been waiting for the town's approval to execute the sale uh, for over three years, received an offer from a different organization for a large sum of money, and it honestly looked like the whole thing was just going to unravel. There were lots of temptations to get frustrated. I'd lost most, uh, most of the shreds of hope that I had for anything good to come of it. I'm thankful for our elders who continue to pray and help us stay focused on trusting what the Lord would do with it. And here's the crazy thing. June 1st of last year, the project looked dead. Really dead. The town staff was roadblocking it. The state convention didn't think we could do anything with it and was considering other options. And the project was being whittled down to something that I really honestly wasn't all that excited about. But I want to tell you to persist in prayer today. And persist in trusting the Lord. Because within a month's time, last June, a town council member encouraged us to push forward. The staff member that was roadblocking left the job. The state convention gave us the portion of the land that we need for the project for free instead of selling it to us. And on Monday night, the town council voted to support a project I believe we can all be excited about. I hope you will see that, that prayer involves persistence. Persistence. And let God write stories of answered prayer like that over and over and over and over again in the life of our church and in your personal life. And i got to believe that, that for some of you, there's some things you've been praying about for a long time, and you feel like you're on the other side of June 1st last year. Where everything about the circumstances, even as you have prayed, look like God is ignoring the request, look like it is against you, look like any good that could possibly come from it has been denied. And as we sang today, where we walk through a valley where we can see no earthly good, but yet, as we walk through it, we have the keys to Zion City. God is for us. He is with us. And even in the ways He denies us, He is actually caring for us and preparing to work in our lives to provide what we need, not just what we wanted. And we have a Father that we can trust. And we are invited to persist in praying. Now listen, Jesus encourages us to persist in those prayers. And I want you to continue to pray until God is finished doing what He's going to do in that situation in your life. And until you can stand up and celebrate, it may not have been what you started off desiring, but it will become what you would have wanted if you knew what God knew. And so we persist in prayer. Now listen, Jesus teaches us a third important thing about prayer off the back of that story that you need to hear today if you're going to learn to pray. And here it is. Prayer determines personalization. Not only does prayer have a pattern, and not only are we encouraged to persist in prayer, but Jesus teaches us in this passage that prayer, our engagement in prayer, determines personalization. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. We see it in verse 9 and 10. It says, and I tell you, Jesus says, this is, off, this is what He wants us to hear. I tell you, 
The one whoever asks will receive. Ask and it will be given to you, verse 9. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Verse 10, he repeats the same thing, it seems. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. If you look closely, Jesus says it a little bit differently in the second verse to make the point more clear. But what is the point that he's making? Well, here's what it is. We learn to pray, and we learn the power of prayer when we engage in it personally and experience God's work personally. We don't learn by hearing it just from someone else. We don't learn by studying more passages about it so that we can be convinced we ought to pray. We become more convinced in prayer when we experience the power of prayer personally with God. You see, prayer is the personal link between what God is doing and your ability to see and experience it with Him. Look how Jesus says it. He ties our personal experience of God's activity to our personal engagement in prayer. Verse 10, everyone who asks receives. Look how, look how he says the next phrase, the one who seeks finds. In that passage, Who is the one who experiences receiving from God? Who is the one who recognizes that? Who is the one who actually has the door opened? Who is the one who does the finding? Well, the answer is, it's the one who actually seeks. It's the one who goes and knocks on the door. It's the one who asks. And he emphasizes it. Because prayer, prayer happens personally. Prayer determines the personal experience you have with seeing God at work in your life. It connects us to the personal nature of a relationship with God. It's a simple truth that he rewards for emphasis. Do you see the link here? In a particular way, the experience of receiving from God is connected to the asking. The experience of spiritual finding is for those who seek. The experience of an open door is the privilege of the one who knocks. For everyone else, these stories are second-hand experience. For the one who asks, they are communion with the God who is intimately involved in the details of our lives and gives good gifts to his children. He's the God who gives good gifts to his children. He reveals insight to the one who is seeking. He opens doors and communes with the person who knocks. And I wonder, if if you look at your life and and it feels devoid of the activity of God, the personal presence and experience of what God is doing, I I just wonder how much asking, how much seeking, how much real knocking is going on in our lives. Or perhaps we gave up on prayer a long time and we wouldn't know what it looks like for God to work in our lives even while he's doing it all around us. I want us to ask and to seek and to knock, to do so in faith and experience personally what God wants to do. Jesus says this not just as an instruction, but an invitation to asking, seeking, and knocking. So I want to know, are we praying any prayers of real faith that we can celebrate when God answers? 
as we go into our week of prayer, our theme is walking by faith. Asking in faith, praying in faith. That is what prayer invites us to do. We don't want to know what we can accomplish this year if we work really hard. We want to see God accomplish what He can do through our church as we come to Him in prayer and live by faith. And here are five things I want us to pray this week as an act of faith. I'm going to send these uh, to all of you who have given us uh, your email address. encourage you just to use these. There's a passage with each one of them. There are five things that I think that you can use to pray this week with us, not just corporately, but for you personally. And I just want to share them with you and ask you to join us in this week of prayer praying these things. The first one is this. God, remove our barriers to faith that veil your love. God, remove our barriers that veil your love. The Apostle Paul shows us in Ephesians 3 that we're to pray this way, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith so that through faith we would be rooted and grounded in love. That by that, as we pray and ask God to root us and ground, be grounded in love, that it would cause us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that we can be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, that means that having the faith to comprehend the love of God, which empowers us to really live a life of consecration and trust to Him, it's a matter of prayer. That one of the things that we need to pray for one another and pray for our church is that we would be convinced more deeply on the level of our soul of, of just the massive nature of God's love for us. So much of what we do to avoid difficult obedience and to, to, to keep such control of our own lives is rooted in our distrust of the love of God. And so we want to pray for one another that God would allow us to be stirred up in faith, to believe, and to begin to comprehend, in, to comprehend the love of Christ, the, the depth and the height and the width and the breadth of that love. And we don't do it without praying. God, remove our barriers to faith that veil your love. The second thing I think we need to pray this, this week is, God, grant us faith to pursue fruitful evangelism. God, grant us faith to pursue fruitful evangelism. At the end of Ephesians 6, Paul says, Pray also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for at which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I want one of our prayers for the church this week to be that God would help us to overcome the barriers we have to proclaiming the gospel and learning to be fruitful in evangelism. My desire would be that this year in the life of the church, we, more than any other year in the past, we would see people coming to faith in Christ because God has given us boldness and insight in how to do evangelism in our context, our culture, our time, our place. There are so many barriers and there's so many ways we think wrong about it. We lack boldness. We lack courage. We lack insight and knowledge. And we think it's just going to happen. But what we need to do is ask the Lord to change us so that we can be fruitful in evangelism in our community. Would you pray that with me? God, do whatever it takes to change us and make us fruitful this year. That we would see more people come to faith than in any other year in the life of our church. God, grant us faith to pursue fruitful 
evangelism. Third thing, God give us faith to live consecrated lives. And there's so many things that, that challenge us. So many ways we fear and flee from obedience and consecration to the Lord. It takes courage to walk with God. It takes faith for us to align our lives and reorganize ourselves around what's true before the throne of God rather than what we perceive in the culture around us. Colossians 1, 9 through 11 helps us to do that. Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And we want to pray that God would allow us to have consecrated lives where we really know his will for us, where we know his will for how we're to make decisions in our life. We understand what's in line with the heart of God, and we have to pray that we would know and understand his will to have spiritual insight. He says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. God, give us faith to live consecrated lives, lives that are set apart for you. We need to pray this with and for one another, for our lives, for our church. Whether it's because you're going through a trial and you need the perseverance and endurance to be able to trust what God's will is working out in that situation and how he desires to glorify himself in the midst of it. Or whether right now, and there's just there's spiritual warfare and resistance in our life and, and all sorts of reasons to just cave and not be faithful to the Lord. And we're tempted by our idolatry of comfort and safety and all of those things to flee for, to those for rest, to flee for the, to the things that we know that, that we can comfort ourselves with rather than entrust ourselves to the will of God and consecrate our lives to living faithfully and obediently before Him. We need to pray, God, give us faith to live consecrated lives. Number four, God, turn our faith into Christ-exalting unity. God, turn our faith into Christ-exalting unity. In John 17, Jesus prays for His church and He says in verse 20, praying to the Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in Me through their word. That's us. What does he pray? Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's an amazing thing there that what God does, what, what Jesus prays is a reminder that God in some manner has tied up his glory in our unity. You see, Jesus says that when we are a unified church, when we don't allow petty things to divide us, when we seek a genuine unity where we can be truthful with one another but we love one another, where we are gathered around things that are big enough to overcome the circumstances of our life and we learn to be a unified people in the midst of all of the challenges that would break us apart and all the things that can be driven between us, when we pursue Christ-exalting unity, he says here, the world believes that Jesus 
was sent by the Father. That unity matters. That means we have a responsibility to pray that God would unite us in a special way. In many, in many ways, over the last couple years, our culture has continued to experience an increased fracturing. And that fracturing doesn't just happen outside the walls of the church. It happens inside the walls of the church. The way that we see the different things that we do in our life and respond to the things going on in our society and culture around us, those things have the ability to threaten a sense of Christ-exalting unity. And it it takes a laboring and praying that we would understand one another, that we would be sympathetic to people who disagree with us, that we would have a patience with one another as a church so that we can stay ordered around the gospel and helping one another grow toward one another in love so that that unity becomes an apologetic that convinces other people that there's something different that happens here than anywhere else. This church will not survive without a central unity around the gospel that can transform us in all of those ways. And it's not easy for leaders or anyone else to figure out how to create that unity. We're told to pray for it. To ask God to make it a part of what His Holy Spirit gives birth to in us. God, turn our faith into Christ-exalting unity. I want you to pray that this week for us. Lastly, God, give us faith to believe you go ahead of us in mission. You know, 2 Thessalonians 3.1, he says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. He's looking at what happened among the Thessalonian church. You know, there's this amazing thing. I've spent a fair amount of time overseas and engaged in outreach, and there are these powerful moments when, when you trust the Lord and you step out in faith and we send a church planner or we go and we take up the responsibility to spread the gospel in a place where it's not being, uh, not being proclaimed very much, and it's so obvious that God put people there he wants to reach, that the word of God went ahead that the Spirit of God has prepared the ground. And, it, and it's just these, these amazing moments where you realize that, the, that God is the one who is ahead of us in mission. And when we step out in faith, we get to join what He's already doing there. And listen, we, we've taken bold steps over the last uh, many years to plant churches and to send people out. Last night, we uh, gathered up a, a lot of you uh, on Zoom, and we shared the plan for Pillar on Mission of how we're going to go help engage our partners uh, both here in the U.S. Uh, and our church planners that are living overseas. And, and I want you to pray that we would experience, as we send church plants out and as we send people uh, abroad, that we would experience the obvious sense that God went before us. That God was doing a work and he had prepared the way. Today, in a moment as we close, we're going to pray for Noah Clifton who is going to leave this week to spend the next several months through the spring in the Middle East. And we've begun to pray that God would use him in in some people's lives there. And and you know, if, if it were just a matter of Noah's skill and ingenuity to get ministry done, I mean, he's awesome, but we wouldn't have much confidence that we can see people's lives changed. No, he's, where's he at? He's way back there on the soundboard. We won't have much confidence in that. But we go because we believe that God is already there, that his spirit can do far more than we can do in our own strategy. 
we believe God's at work in those places and we're joining him. And, and as we pray for Noah and as we pray for our church planters, week after week we present church planters like Yoman and we, pre- we talk about the next church plant we're sending out. Right now in the life of our church, we need to begin praying for, for Carrie and Aaron Julian as they are seeking the Lord about where God would send them over the next 18 months to, to plant a church. And we need to be praying for Alex and Kate Chapman as they're making decisions uh, about heading out and in, in planting that the Lord would go before and give clarity to the mission. But as we go, that that they would discover he was there and be encouraged by the work he's already begun. Because I don't know if you've ever taken that step, but it feels incredibly vulnerable. You know, Noah's going to wake up next Sunday in another country that he's never been to, pretty far away from the resources and infrastructure that support him, and he's going to have a moment where he's going to think, wow, what did I get myself into? And what I believe, some point in that time, the Lord's going to meet him there, and he's going to see it. He's going to see what God did. But would you pray this week that he would have that experience right away, that that, that would empower the entire time that he is there? That our church planters who are preparing to go out would have boldness and faith and confidence that when they go, they aren't going alone? God, give us faith to believe you go ahead of us in mission and do more than we ever thought we could. So we see all these things, this call and encouragement to prayer. And as we prepare for the Lord's table, there's one last thing I want you to see in these verses. Prayer is a family privilege. Verse 11 and 12. It's really interesting how how he says it here. Prayer is pictured as a family privilege. We don't have a reluctant neighbor We have a kind father who hears our prayers. We don't just have a kind father. We have a father that knows what gifts are good for us and is always granting what is truly good. We know how to give good gifts to our children. And he says God is immeasurably wiser, immeasurably more good than us. Even in comparison to God, we who are evil and have all kinds of terrible mixed motives know how to give good gifts to our children? How much more does our Heavenly Father know how to respond to our prayers and provide the power and the work of the Holy Spirit when we call on Him so that we can experience the goodness of His blessing over our lives? Prayer is a privilege that we have because we've been adopted into His family. And one of the things that often discourages us in prayer is when we don't receive what we've been asking for. And here, the reason he talks about this fatherly relationship is that we would learn to trust that sometimes the things we perceive as a scorpion or a rock are really bread. And they're really God's purpose and provision that we just didn't understand. And that we would learn to trust him by faith as we pray because he's a good father. And we've been given this privilege And we can be confident in that because our salvation and our welcome into the family of God was granted to us when the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Himself, submitted His desire and prayer to the plan and purpose of the Father and entrusted Himself to the Father as He walked to the cross. You see, because when Jesus kneeled in the garden, he said, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, let it pass. 
And the only begotten Son of God, the divine Son, kneeled in the garden and he said, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And because he was willing to to submit his desire to the Father so that the purpose of God could be fulfilled in him, he walked to the cross, he paid for our sins, and through his payment on the cross, he adopted us into his family so we could have the privilege of receiving good gifts from the Father. Our Father knows how to give good gifts. His Son has accomplished something of eternal good and glory by submitting to the wisdom and purpose of the Father who has now highly exalted Him. And by faith, when we turn to Christ, He welcomes us into a family where we get to enjoy the privilege of faithful prayer and trust in a Heavenly Father who loves us. And so I invite you this week to pray. I'm going to encourage you to pay attention, to see the resources that are come out, to find a life group, get involved, and spend some time personally praying. Reach out to another member of the church or somebody that's, that you know and, and pray this week together. You take the, the initiative to do that. And we'll try to resource you and encourage you to pray. But as we gather around the table today and as we receive the bread and cup, let's remember we can entrust ourselves to the Father. If this is your testimony, you have trusted Jesus Christ by faith, we invite you to take the bread and the cup and remember with us what a privilege we have in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for today. We pray that, God, you would grant conviction and insight. You would help us know how to respond to you personally. Lord, we, we pray that you would make us a praying people. God, if nothing else, in 2022, would you cause Pillar Church to be a people who seek your face, who knock on the door, who come and ask, and who trust you endlessly. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.